Welcome to Marquette Missionary Church. Here is today's message. Well, at this time, I'd like for us to dive in to God's Word here. Um, last week, we kind of started a new series called The Kingdom of Heaven. I'm going to give you a, a brief reminder of what we talked about last Sunday. We looked at Matthew chapter 3. And in Matthew chapter 3, uh, this is John the Baptist. He was out there baptizing people and calling them to re- this interaction between religious leaders and John. And we got to get a glimpse of what the kingdom of heaven is and what is required of it. John came and his message was very clear out of uh, Matthew chapter 3, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was calling God's people and people in general to come to repentance for them to be turning away from their sins, both in their mind and also in their actions. It wasn't just change of mind, but it was also change of actions because John says you need to repent and bear fruit, keeping with repentance. And there was one thing I did not really touch on last Sunday was this idea that the kingdom of God is at hand. What exactly does that mean? What exactly does that look like here? The kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the kingdom of God is at hand. It simply means that the kingdom of heaven is here. It has arrived. Now, it hasn't arrived in the sense of most people thinking about kingdoms. When we think about kingdoms, we usually think about kingdoms like having, you know, in the physical kingdom, where there would be this great rule, and we have got a king, and we've got this throne set up in the physical world. And it's interesting because the people at the time, they missed the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus came preaching, saying, listen, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is here. See, the people at the time, they were waiting for this kingdom to come. These were people that were expecting at some point a king is going to come. At some point, a king is going to come and is going to reign in this place. Now, Israel, and, and I've kind of talked about this a little bit here throughout the different weeks here, but Israel at the time was ruled by the Romans. But it wasn't always like that. Israel, they remember their greatest days. And if, you can, if you've ever read Old Testament, their greatest days was underneath King David. King David was their greatest king. He was a mighty warrior. He protected the lands. He got rid of the Philistines. He was a king that was a great king. Well, with that in light, when Jesus came, they were expecting David. They were expecting a king to be like David. They were expecting a king that would come and that would overthrow the Romans. They were thinking, you know what, we're going to get back to our glory days. We're going to get back to the time when Israel was a strong nation, when Israel was, was prosperous. They were hoping and believing that when the kingdom came, that was the plan that God had. However, that was not God's plan. God's plan was to bring a kingdom, and this kingdom would come and rule over the hearts of man. It wasn't going to be a physical kingdom, at least not yet. It was a kingdom that came to rule over mankind. 
And when we as people come into God's kingdom, it's not that we are coming into this physical realm. We are coming underneath the lordship and leadership of Jesus. Is that Jesus is king. He is Lord of all. And when we come into his kingdom, what is happening is that is that we are coming underneath his, his authority, underneath his rule for our lives. And they could not comprehend it at the time. And even today, we still struggle with this idea that God's kingdom has come, but it's come to rule our hearts and our minds. And when we come into his kingdom, we, we're giving all allegiance and all authority to Christ. Now, I want to see how God's kingdom operates. And, and as you read the book of of Matthew here, Jesus gives us glimpse after glimpse of his kingdom. How his kingdom is so different than the kingdom around us. And this is what I want to kind of dive into for the next few weeks. God's kingdom is so different than how this world's kingdoms is. This world operates a certain way. God's kingdom operates a completely different way. Now, I do kind of want to look at a couple of aspects. Kingdom's teaching, basically the kingdom's ethics, how God has called his people who live in his kingdom, how he has called them to live, but also looking at how great God's kingdom is. When you look at the deeds of God's kingdom, when you look at how Jesus operate, operated, you are going to see the greatness of God's kingdom. And I want to, for us to turn real quick to one verse in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And I want to read this verse to you. Then I want to read a corresponding verse real quick this morning. And this is in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. This is kind of like a summary verse. It says this, And he, meaning Jesus, went through all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And healing every disease and every affliction amongst the people. This is a summary of Jesus' ministry. He came teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And he came in God's kingdom with healing and miracles. Now, turn with me quickly to Matthew 9.35. It says this. And Jesus went through all of the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Doesn't that sound very, very similar to Matthew chapter 4, verse, verse 23? I think there is a reason why Matthew does this here. It's very, very interesting as you look at this. You see four, Matthew 4, 23, and you see Matthew 9. And what do we get between those two verses? It's interesting. Both of them are summary verses. Both of them are verses summarizing this is who Jesus is. He came proclaiming the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, healing every disease and affliction. But what, what is sandwiched between those two verses? Well, right after 4.23, we get into Matthew 5. And if you know anything about Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It is the longest section of teaching that we have from Jesus. It is literally just teaching after teaching after teaching. And then right after Jesus' teachings, we get to Matthew 8 and 9. And it's healing, it's casting out demons, it's calming 
the storm. And I think it's interesting that within these two summary verses about God's kingdom is that we see Jesus' teachings and then we see Jesus' works of miracles. Now, what is really, really interesting in today's modern world that we live in, modern people love Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Even, even if they're not believers, they like the idea of the Beatitudes. They like the idea of Jesus' teachings in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 about how do we love our neighbor and, and all of the amazing teachings Jesus has there. But it's interesting because many modern-day people will reject the miracles of Jesus. They say, listen, I really like Jesus' teaching. You know, like, I really agree that we ought to, you know, love people and forgive people. And, but then when it comes to the miracles, when it comes to Jesus' miracles, they kind of reject those. They're kind of like, ah, you know, I don't, I don't really like all that hocus-pocus, you know, miracle stuff. Like, I'm not really on board with that. And there are people that are kind of on the opposite, who kind of like Jesus' miracles. They like how he... He does all of these amazing things, calms the storm, but they want nothing to do with Jesus telling them how to live. They don't want Jesus calling out how not to lust or that we have to forgive people or return good for evil. They don't want that aspect. But I believe that Matthew put these two verses, these two summary verses right here to kind of show us this is who God's kingdom is. This is all of it. Jesus came teaching but Jesus also comes with these miracles. And I think for us, in, in light of everything that is happening right now, I want to look at one of, at one of Jesus' teachings this morning. And then if you would please stand, stand with me and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And I believe we need to be encouraged with these words this morning. This is Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43. And it says this, this is how God's people ought to live. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let us pray. Father God, as we look to your word this morning, as we look to, to this teaching, Lord, that you gave us, I pray, Lord, that you would come and soften our hearts right now. Father, we desire to be people that are living and operating in your kingdom. Father, come and challenge us. Come and speak to us. Father, we give you praise now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated here. Like I said... This is coming out of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, and it's one, 
When you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you will see teaching after teaching after teaching. It's just a few verses here, teaching, teaching, teaching. And we get to this idea of loving your enemies. In his words, at the time, his listeners, they would have understood these words. In Jesus, in verse 43, he says this, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor, you shall hate your enemy. Now, it's interesting. You can't find a single Old Testament teaching about hating one's enemies. It's interesting at how Jesus says this phrase here. You've heard that it was said to love your neighbor and to hate your enemy. The Old Testament teaches very, very clearly from Leviticus 19 to all over about loving one's enemies. But nowhere in the Old Testament do you get a teaching about hating one's enemies. But Jesus says these words to them. And many scholars and many people have been kind of wondering, like, where did this teaching come from? Because it wasn't taught in the Old Testament. In fact, the Old Testament teaches about loving sojourners, loving foreigners. If they come, feed them, take care of them, love your neighbor. It is constantly taught within Old Testament. But Jesus throws this last line on there. But you've heard that it was said. It is, it is thought and believed that at the time Jesus is teaching this, Many people within the culture and within the religious community have bought into this idea that, yes, love one's neighbor, but the enemies, we will hate them. And it was kind of within the culture at the time. And we know this, that, that uh, as we look at how God's people, how the Jewish people responded at this time, they were not friendly to outsiders, they didn't really like Rome being there. They didn't even like half-Jewish people. They kind of treated them as like a lesser class here. They, within that culture, within that time, they had a firm grasp on loving one's neighbor, but they kind of thought, well, it's one's neighbor who kind of looks like me and believes like me. But Jesus is challenging them on what was happening within the culture at the time. They had a strong culture of hating one's enemies. They didn't like them. They didn't want to talk to them. They wanted nothing to, to do with them. In fact, they even criticized Jesus for talking to Gentiles, which, which basically a Gentile is it's just simply someone who is not Jewish. They criticized Jesus for talking to outsiders, and Jesus is pointing out the fact that, hey, you've, you've kind of got this teaching going on in your culture right now. You guys know to love one's neighbor, but you have this belief within you that when it comes to your enemies, to hate them. And of course, Jesus challenges them on this. And I've been thinking a lot about this this past week, especially where our nation is at right now. Is this not where our world's at? Really like, really like think about this. Think about our nation. Think about where we are at right now as a nation. We just went through a crazy political season, a pandemic, all of this crazy stuff going on. Are we any different than where they were at back then? Our nation is so divided. There's so much hate happening right now. And I find this to be heartbreaking. I mean, it's not just one on the fringes any longer. There is hate deep within our culture right now, deep within people's hearts and minds taking place right now. 
Now, I do want to point out real quick, Jesus' teaching here is, is not a teaching on the national level, though this, this, this could be at, at certain times. It's an individual level. Jesus is speaking to people on an individual level here. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. You've heard that. But I'm going to tell you something different. It's so much individual here. And I, I want to just kind of point that one out because, because as a nation, we could not operate at this level. And let me just point out why. I, I, I love reading World War II stuff. I've studied history on World War II and World War I and all of that. If we as a nation would have lived out these verses as a nation in the 1940s, that would have been uh, horrendous circumstances. If we would have like looked at Hitler and been like, yeah, you know, Hitler, we, we're supposed to just love you here and we're just supposed to pray for you and we're not going to actually stand up to you. We're not going to, you know, confront evil. We're just going to like let you live, you know, how you're going to be living here. It would have been a complete disaster. He would have ruled Europe and enslaved and killed millions upon millions of people. Evil at the national level has to be confronted. But at the individual level, and that's what I'm talking about here today, and as I look at our nation right now, the individual level. In the last months online, many of you are probably online. Get off of online, it's just a suggestion. I shouldn't even be online, it's terrible. But in the last several months online, I've seen so many posts and so many people that claim to be Christians They have posted this. If you don't agree with me on a subject, please delete me from your friend list. Has anyone else ever, ever seen that post online there? I have seen this over and over again playing out in the online world. That Listen, if you don't agree with where I'm at, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to be your friend. I want you to delete me. I'm going to unfriend you if I see anything that I disagree with. It's even taking place within our media, this hate and this divide. Jack Wilkinson from the New York Times said this, if Biden really wanted unity, he would lynch Mike Pence. Think about this. This stuff is getting said. This isn't like on the fringes, people. Hate within our culture is not on the fringes right now. Hate is within every aspect of our culture. On Inauguration Day, Crazy Antifa did some fascist work down in Seattle. They were shouting and saying this, they don't want Biden, they want revenge. Think about this, people. This is where our nation is currently at. And as I think about this, our nation's so full of hate, that better be Jesus. No. <laughs> I've always wanted to like say that line. I bring this up because as I look at our world, guys, we see so much hate happening around us. And for us as believers, for us as Christians, to think that our culture doesn't influence us. Time and time again, God's word is warning his people that the culture around you, it can influence you. And it will influence you. And as I think about this, I think, man, even within the church, even within us, are we seeing this hate rise up? 
Are we seeing this hatred for individuals rise up, even within us? And I think that we need to take a moment and check ourselves because this world influences us. What is happening around us, it's not like it's happening in a bubble and we don't partake in it. It's happening around us and it affects us and it affects how we think and how we live and how we act. We need to remember who we belong to. That we as believers, we as those who follow Christ, we have come into God's kingdom. We have come under his authority, under his reign, under the one who is in charge, saying, I'm no longer in charge, but because I follow Christ, he is in charge of me. I want to jump to verses 44 and 45. Like I said, this teaching of hating one Hating your, your enemies was not found in the, new, in the Old Testament. But Jesus says this, But I say to you, instead of hating them, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. This is verse 45. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Really think about this. Jesus is saying, I don't want you to live like the world around you lives. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Who persecute you. Now Jesus warns his disciples so many times, listen guys, there's going to be people that are going to persecute you. There's going to be people that will disagree with you. There will be people, when you proclaim my kingdom, when you talk about about what my kingdom is and who I am, there are people that will hate you for it. And Jesus says, I want you, I want you to love them. I want you to pray for them. And I think it's, it's so important that Jesus links these two together. Because I, I see that as we love our enemies, we will be praying for them. Praying for an enemy and loving him will, will prove mutually reinforcing. The more you love, the more you pray. The more you pray, the more you love. And if you remember, isn't this how Jesus lived? Remember this. Every teaching Jesus has, he lived it out. This isn't like Jesus told his people like, hey, I want you to live this way, but I'm going to live a different way. Jesus proved these words. Luke 23, verse 34, as Jesus is hanging on a cross, he says this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus doesn't just preach words about praying for enemies. While he was physically hanging on a cross, as the enemies came to him at night, slapped him, beat him, put a crown of thorns on his head, and put a cross on his back and flogged him and whipped him and beat him as he is hanging there with his nails in his hands and in his feet, Jesus prays for him. Think about that. Like, it doesn't get any more terrible circumstances than that. And Jesus' words are, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Many of us, when someone cuts us off or says something that we disagree with, we get worked up. How often are we praying for people around us? 
This past Monday, the Lord was really working on my heart. Um, so you guys all know how much I love snow biking, right? Like I talk about it all the time. I'm probably a little bit obsessed with it. I love getting out snow biking. And this past Monday, Caitlin had school with the kids. So I made this whole plan to spend like three or four hours like on the trails. Had a lunch, a lunch packed and everything. And I'm getting ready to go out there. And if you know how much I love snow biking, uh, Mitch here, he knows the one thing that drives me nuts when I go snow biking. The thing that, so all of these snow biking trails, there's somebody who grooms them and sets them up and there's snowshoers on them. What drives me crazy is people who walk on these trails. Now you might be like sitting there thinking, Pastor, does it really matter? It really doesn't matter, but I get worked up over it. When I see somebody walking on the trail, their boots are digging into the trail and they're ruining the trail. And I get really, really worked up about this. Like, 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 I kid you not, like my blood boils. Mitch, he bikes with me. He totally knows it, right? So this past Monday, I'm getting ready. I go out there. Got this whole, like, like you know, Caitlin's teaching school for three, four hours. I'm going to go for like a three or four hour ride today. And I'm about as farthest as I could be from my car. And there's this little skinny piece of wood, and we like to, like, ride ride that, and my tire slips off of there, and I bend my rim. Bend my rim, and I pop my tire. And I'm the furthest point from my car. But how do I get back to the car? What do I have to do to get to the car? I can't bike out. I got to walk out. And I'm sitting there walking on this beautifully groomed trail with my big old boots ruining it, as I'm walking, and I really just started to think about why I get so worked up over what's happening here. And here I am doing the very thing I hate to be doing. Now, I could have walked out onto Malton Road and walked to Highway 41 and walked 41 all the way to Nagani and then from there walked to downtown. I could have done that, but I also knew, like, you know, like it was... It was it was one of those circumstances where as I was walking and as I was praying and as I was hiking out, I thought, I don't always love these people who are walking on these trails. I get worked up. I get angry by it. Mitch knows I usually have to say something to him. I usually stop and be like, hey, just let you know these trails are not made for walking. But as I'm sitting there walking, I thought, if I can't love these people, and this is something that really doesn't matter at all. This is just a personal annoyance. If I can't love these people, what will happen when things really start to ramp up? How would I do to people that really want to persecute me for my faith? What would I do when these enemies of the gospel come knocking on the door and wanting to do me harm or my family harm? How would I respond to them on something that eternally matters, and I get so worked up on this little matter. And I think you guys can all relate to that. If we can't love the everyday person, how in the world will we love and pray for those who truly desire to do us harm because of our faith? Jesus' words are very, very simple here, yet some of the most difficult things to live out. Love your enemies and pray for them. 
And the reason why we love them and pray for them is because this is who the Lord is. Look at verse 45. It says this, For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. The Lord is the Lord of unconditional love towards all of us, on good people and on evil people. Have you ever like, thought about that? That, that uh, scholars call this common grace. That the Lord has this common grace for all humanity. For everyone. Not just, not just righteous people, but even for the evil people. For the good and for the bad. And Jesus points this out here. That like, listen, like God, God actually, he, he doesn't just send rain and bless those who are good. When he sends rain, it blesses evil and good. This is who our Lord is, and this is who we are called to be. We are called to live as he lives. We are called not just to love and pray for one another in this room. That's easy, and actually Jesus points that one out here. In verse 46, look at this. He says this, he says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Loving those who agree with you, who are in this room right now, I, I would even challenge and push us. Like, loving people here right now, Jesus says, like, this is easy. Loving brothers and sisters, and we all know this. Like, like, how easy is it to pray for a brother or sister in Christ? If a friend of yours calls you up, it doesn't matter what time they call you, when they bother you, if they call you up and say, listen, I need prayer right now, I'm going through this, you joyfully, I'd like to hope that you would joyfully, joyfully pray for them and love them. And Jesus points this out. He says, listen, it's so easy to pray for those who are friends of ours. It's so easy to love people who love us. Am I right? Like, I mean, like, we all know this to be true here. But the challenge here that Jesus lays on them, like saying, listen, the world does this. The world operates in this level. Everybody out there who doesn't even know me lives this way. They can easily love people who love them. But the challenge is, is how can we live differently? God's kingdom has come, and God's kingdom has come to call his people to be different, to live completely different than how the world lives. The world lives a certain way, and we who are now under Jesus' lordship, we're called to live a different way. And to me, this is what is needed right now in our world, in our culture, is for God's people to be the light of the world, and I believe we, we can do that by living differently, by loving those who we may feel like are enemies to us, loving, loving co-workers who rub us wrong, loving people that, that we may not always agree with, and love and pray for them. And our prayer should be, God, we desire for them to know you. We desire for them to come into your kingdom, to come underneath your rule, to come underneath your authority. Jesus, we pray for them. We lift them up to you. We want to love them and bless them. 
And I know that I've, I've quoted C.S. Lewis a lot, but, but C.S. Lewis defines love as wanting the very best for someone else. When we come, a, come across people that maybe disagree with us, that maybe rub us wrong, do we actually want the very best for them? Do we actually want them to know God and to know his kingdom, to know his reign, and to know his love and his grace that he has for them? And I just want to just challenge you guys and challenge myself this week, church. We need to be people that live differently than the world around us. The world around us, they, there's so much hate and so much anger and so much frustration and I don't want to talk to you and if you disagree, there's a scream fest and all this, all this garbage is going on. And what if God's people lived differently? What if we didn't respond how they do? What if instead of getting worked up and frustrated, we got down on our knees and said, God, do a work. Do a work in my heart, Lord. God, help me to love these people. Help me to love people that just I disagree with, Lord. God, I desire for them to know you. Help me to show them how I love you and love them. And this very, very last line here confuses a lot of people. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. A better translation for that word perfect would be mature or whole, i.e. loving people without limits. Jesus is not frustrating his hearers with an unachievable idea. He's not saying, listen, you won't be able to achieve this. We are still sinners. We will still fall short. But I do believe that godliness is a biblical concept and it is attainable. For us to be living in, underneath his kingdom, we desire to do what God calls us to do. And Jesus' challenge to them is saying, listen, I want you to live how I lived. I want you to live how your, how your heavenly Father is. He is perfect. I'm asking you not to be perfect as far as sinless, but I want you to be whole. I want you to be mature in your thinking on how God's kingdom operates. And church, this is my challenge for myself and for you this week. How can we go and how can we love those around us? When was the last time you prayed for a coworker that gets you upset? I just bring up coworkers because every place I've ever worked, I, I understand how that operates. Like people, <laughs> we all don't have like the same personalities. And sometimes personalities rub people wrong. But like, think about that. Like, are you praying for those people? Because if we can be praying for those who we just simply disagree with, we need to also be praying for those who are also enemies to God's kingdom. I'm going I'm to ask you to stand this morning, and I want to pray for you guys, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come and lead us in one more song before we go this morning. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you so much for who you are. Jesus, you showed us time and time again how you love those who wanted to do you harm. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would be a people that would live this out. Father, that we would be a people that would truly love those around us. God, that we would be praying for them, 
that we would be wanting the very best for them. Father, humble us, Lord. Help us to walk in your ways. Help us to walk as your kingdom does. God, I thank you for this church family, Lord. And as we, as we worship you now, I pray, Lord, that you would come and just minister to us by your Holy Spirit. God, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.